welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. In this series, we've been working our way uh, toward uh, this day, toward Father's Day, as we've been doing a series entitled uh, Calling All Men. Uh, in the series, we've been kind of doing a little bit of a character study of uh, Abraham and, and pulling out some pictures and some components uh, out of Abraham's life that's uh, applicable not just to the men, but for all of us, but especially for the men, uh, because that's kind of what the series is about. To remind you where we've been, and in case you've not been here until today, uh, during the series, we started talking uh, about, uh, by faith, taking your family with you. Uh, Abraham gives us a great picture of that because uh, this unknown God that he had never heard anything about uh, called him to leave a place of worship and idols, uh, to go to a place that he had never heard of before, that God didn't even show him where he was headed. And yet he believed God enough to step out by faith and go where God was calling him. And that's a good picture for us as men that we need to, uh, by faith, take our families with us uh, on the journey of faith uh, in, in the direction of God, in the direction of Christ. Uh, the, the next message we talked about building your altar because in Abraham's life, it seemed like whenever he built an altar, as he moved from one location to the next, things went fairly well with him. But it was the times that he failed to build his altar that he got in trouble. So that's why we've had these rocks available up here at the front. This will probably be the last week they'll be here. Uh, if you've not had the chance to pick one up, what I've been challenging the, uh, the men, not just the women, men, but the women also, uh, to come up uh, during the invitation time and grab one of these rocks, take it home, set it somewhere conspicuous in your house. So you'll be reminded every time you see it that you need to be praying, you need to be seeking the Father, you need to have an altar uh, in, in your own home. Then we talked about stake your claim. And uh, what happened in, in the story of Abraham, he had a nephew by the name of Lot, and they had some friction uh, with their herdsmen uh, because they started to expand and not room for each other. Uh, Abraham, being really selfless, he said uh, to Lot, I'll let you choose first, and then whatever you choose, I'll go somewhere else and graze my crops. Uh, so Lot chose what he thought looked to be the best. He chose this well-watered plain, and the Bible tells us he went and he pitched his tent towards Sodom. Uh, that seemed like a really innocent choice, but it had consequences uh, in his life that he didn't realize would happen. Uh, I'll mention that again in the, in the message a little bit today, but he winds up pitching his tent near Sodom, moving into Sodom with his family, being a leader in the gate of Sodom, and then ultimately when judgment falls on Sodom and Gomorrah, he even loses his own wife uh, and some other things that we'll talk about that, that took place uh, there. Last week we talked about make your tithe, and uh, that might not have been an enjoyable topic uh, for some of you guys, but the reason we did so is that Abraham's coming back from a battle. He went to rescue Lot, where Lot had been captured, and other people in Sodom and carried away, and uh, Abram goes to uh, rescue him, and on the way back, uh, he meets this uh, priest of the Most High God by the name of Melchizedek. 
and uh, he makes ties to him. And the Bible clearly teaches that that's a type or a picture of us making our tithe to Jesus. And that's what the tithe is about, guys. It's not about giving your money to some church. It's about showing how much you value Jesus and what he's done uh, for you as you tithe. And then we talked about also trusting in, in God because God told uh, Abraham, hey, I'm your shield. I'm the one that will protect you. I'm the one that's going to keep the promises I've made to you. Which brings us to today on Father's Day. We're going to finish up this series, uh, Calling on Men, with this topic, Beg God for Your Family. Uh, Beg God for Your Family. The story that we're going to look at today uh, drops in when there's a time of judgment that's getting ready to fall upon the, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. As I said a moment ago, Lot, who is a nephew of Abraham, and his family was living there in Sodom. So Abram finds out, because God reveals to him, as you'll see in our scriptures this morning, that uh, he's about to destroy the city of Sodom and Gomorrah because of the sin that was taking place there. And, and Abram begins to petition God or beg God or kind of be in the role of an intercessor and uh, asking God, would you spare the city if there's this many righteous people, if there's this many righteous people, if there's this many righteous people? And he keeps bringing the number uh, on, on down. Well, one thing that I think we miss sometimes in our culture today is this. Uh, God is still a holy God. Uh, as a matter of fact, holiness is God's primary characteristic. Thank God he is love because if he wasn't love, we wouldn't have any hope. Amen? Uh, so he is love. But you see, we don't perceive his love unless we view it against the background of his holiness. And we understand how holy he is and how perfect he is. And then we see the steps he took for us in order that we might be saved. It, it helps us to, it, it magnifies his love, makes it all the much greater when we understand how holy he is. He, he was a holy God in that day and time. And the, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah rose to the point that it was time for judgment to fall. I mentioned a, a few weeks ago a book by Leonard Ravenhill, and I told you then I kind of dated myself by bringing it up because uh, he's been dead and gone for, for years now. But uh, he wrote a book entitled that, that God would have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. In other words, if God doesn't judge culture still, if God doesn't judge America still, so he's, here's the scary thing for me. In, in this story, we see God judging Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and I kindly feel like the sinfulness of our culture in this day and time has probably surpassed Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and we ought to have a concern about the judgment of God because he's a holy God. And a holy God must judge sin. In fact, he has judged sin. You want to know how he did it? He just sent him by sending his son to die on the cross for you and for me. And, and Jesus took the sin of all the world upon himself. And it's through faith in Jesus Christ that we can be forgiven. God has judged sin at the cross. But people still have to appropriate by faith what Jesus did for them. God took care of the sin of all mankind when Jesus died on the cross. But that only is beneficial to you if you believe. If you, by faith, admit to God that you're a sinner, you can't save yourself, and you believe that Jesus died on the cross. You see, we get that all messed up. People make it about how good you can be or, or how bad you are. That's not the criteria. The criteria of us being made righteous is simply this. Jesus died in my place. Jesus died in your place. 
I'm as big a screw-up as you are. It doesn't matter that I'm a pastor. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus died in our place. And it's when we appropriate that by faith and we believe that Jesus has paid the price for our sin that we're redeemed and that we're brought into the family of God. That's good news, isn't it? Father's Day or no Father's Day. But this morning as we think about this story of being an intercessor like Abraham, Abraham took on the the posture of an intercessor to pray for his family and to pray for other people. There's some analogies that I want to make from the scriptures, and we'll just read the scriptures as we go through it. Some of them I may not read. I'll just maybe talk through. Because uh, on this Father's Day, I want us not just to hear about begging God for your family. I want to allow more time at the end of the service for us as men to pray to pray for our country, to pray for other people, to pray for the conditions in our culture, but yes, also to pray for our our family members. And we'll do that uh, during the invitation time. Here's some analogies. There's kind of three main analogies that I want us to get today, uh, and and then we'll move into that prayer time. Analogy number one from this story that we're looking at in Abraham today is this. God has chosen fathers to keep their families in the way of the Lord. God has chosen fathers. Now, that doesn't mean the mothers aren't included in that, but today's Father's Day, and the Scripture mentions uh, Abraham as a father. Uh, Let's read in in verse 16 through 19. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. Now, kind of a a prelude to that before I finish reading those verses, uh, Abraham's kind of there in his tent, and, and these Two guys come up along with a third one that the Bible says is the Lord, which most theologians believe is a pre-incarnate uh, Jesus Christ that's there. And, and, and Abraham's sitting there and he's recognizing, I think, uh, maybe spiritually who they are. And, uh, and he has his wife to make a meal for them. And they sit down and they talk. And now kind of all the niceties of that meal is over with. And these two angels are going to go into Sodom to check things out. Uh, And the Lord said this, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Then they notice verse 19, for I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Now, I want you to notice a, a couple of things uh, in those verses that we, that we just read. One is simply this. You and I who know Christ as our Savior, we need to stay so close to God that we've got a pretty good idea of what God's going to do, that we understand how God's going to react to certain situations and scenarios. The, the Lord said this, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? The Bible tells us this in Amos chapter 3, verse 7. For the Lord does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. You and I need to try and be so close to God in our worship of him, in our daily devotion of him, in in reading the Bible, that you and I have a pretty good sense how God's going to deal with things, uh, how God will react to certain circumstances. We need to stay that close to him. But the second thing, for Father's Day that I want you to get from those verses is this. If you're a Christian dad, if you know Christ as your Savior, not just Abraham, but you yourself, you've been chosen by God for a very important task. God says this about Abraham, for I have chosen him. 
And God has also chosen you if you're a Christian. And if you're a father, God has some tasks for you. Keep, keep reading. He said that he, talking about Abraham, may command. Now, I know that word doesn't fit our, 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 our culture today. I'll talk about that in a moment. That he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. A lot of people don't like authority today. And that word command sounds a little bit harsh. And through our culture in Hollywood and maybe even sometimes in, in, in school uh, and, and maybe some, some things that are being elevated in our culture, uh, our, our children may wind up getting the idea that, uh, well, yeah, we're the parents and, and we kind of make some suggestions uh, to them and, uh, and maybe they don't have to really listen to us. But did you see the word that God was talking about Abraham? He, he said clearly there that you may command your children. He's saying that about Abraham in order that they may keep the way of the Lord. Guys, without apology, I don't care what our culture says today. If you're a Christian, if you know Christ as your Savior, without apology, you ought to put expectation upon your kids. Not just by giving rules, but you ought to set the example for them to where they understand what the way of the Lord is. We need to be commanding them and setting an example for them in, in the way of the Lord. And then he even gives us a picture of what the way of the Lord looks like. He says, by doing righteousness and justice. We need to do what is right and we need to do what is just. That's the way God operates himself. And that's the way we as his followers ought to operate. And, and he's saying, Abraham, I want you to do that. I want you to command your children in the way of the Lord. And I want you to do so in righteousness and in justice. But then notice what else he says. So that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Now God had made some amazing promises to Abraham, had he not? But does it look like part of it here might be a little bit conditional? In other words, for God to fully bless the offspring of Abraham to the degree that he desired to bless them, part of that might be conditional upon Abraham bringing his children up in the way of the Lord and him commanding them in the, in the way of the Lord and leading them to do righteousness and justice because he says so that or in order that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. So we need to recognize that our serving God or lack of serving God, uh, us being the type of fathers we need to be or the lack of the father that we ought to be, can either in a positive way or negative way affect our children and affect our offspring for generations to come and keep everything from being exactly the best that it could be that God had, had planned for them, that God desired for their lives. That's more or less what he's saying here about, uh, about Abraham. Second main analogy is this that we need to grab today as we think about uh, Abraham and, and God dealing with him and Abraham being a, a father of a multitude. That's what his name actually means. God, not just in the day of Sodom and Gomorrah, but God still yet today, God is paying attention to the sinful activity of men. God is paying attention to the sinful activity of men. Genesis 18, verse 20 through 22 says this. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done all together according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men, talking about those two angels, so the men turned from there 
and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood still before the Lord. Now, the word outcry literally means a shriek. The, the, the type of activity that was taking place in Sodom and Gomorrah was causing that type of anguish uh, among the people and in the world of, of that day. The word Sodom that we've already talked about a couple of times in this series means uh, burned or scorched or burn or burning. The word for Gomorrah uh, means a, a ruined heap. And the root word means to chastise. So you have the idea of God chastising the people there in, in, in Sodom and, and Gomorrah. And the Bible over and over again makes mention of Sodom and Gomorrah's sin. And I want to walk us through this just to where you have a good feel, a good concept for God's view of the sin that was taking place in, in Sodom and Gomorrah. Isaiah 3, 9 says, for the look on their faces, and he's talking about his own people here, God is, for the look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom. You see, it's never put in a positive light. They do not hide it. In other words, they're not trying to even conceal their sin. That's how brazen they had become. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. Now freeze that just for a second before I keep reading. When, when, when I started working on this series and on this message, in last Sunday morning, I didn't know anything about what had happened in Orlando because it happened during the night. I get here early on Sunday morning, don't have a chance to watch the news or anything like that. And I had a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction when I put that verse in to the sermon this week because I don't want anyone to think that I parked that verse there saying because they have brought evil on themselves. Now, I'll deal with that more in a minute, but I wanted just to bring that up for a second. Hey, all of us can bring evil on ourselves, amen, by, by our activities. So we don't need to classify it just in, in, in one sin. But let's move on. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Jeremiah chapter 23, in verse 14, but in the prophets of Jerusalem, so he's talking about the religious leaders. In the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hand of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. You see what's being said there? He's saying the religious leaders are living such a poor example. They're committing adultery themselves. They're living uh, lives filled with lies themselves that they strengthen the hand of evildoers because people are thinking, well, I don't need to repent of what I'm doing because look what the religious crowd is doing. So even by their own activity, uh, they, they were causing people to fail to, to repent. No one turns or repents from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me and, it, and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. So once again, it's never, Sodom and Gomorrah is never painted in a positive light. Let's keep reading. Someone might say, well, that's Old Testament. All right, let's look at Jude. Jude verse 7 says this. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah in the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued a natural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. What does that say in the New Testament? That's saying what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah is an example of what still will happen to people, especially people that are practicing that type of sin. Romans chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, while it doesn't talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, it speaks to the sin that was taking place there. 
I remember years ago when I was first going to Bible college and I, and I went to, a, 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 really it was an annual a Bible conference I would go to. And uh, every year, Dr. Gray Allison of Mid-America Seminary would be there. And he was a big proponent of you know, preaching through, you know, verse by verse and everything. And, uh, and he told that crowd that day, if you want to pick something controversial, if you want to get in trouble, you don't have to just whip out a, a certain sermon and use it in order to cause that. He said, just start preaching through Romans chapter 1. <laughs> He said, they'll get you before you get out of Romans chapter 1. And that's true. Regrettably, the, the, the first church that I pastored, after I preached this, going through the book of Romans, this, this text here, along with others, I had a deacon that was 78 years old come up to me at the end of the service, and he said, I've been in this church all my life, and I've never heard anyone preach that text until now. Now, I understand it was a different time in a different place. And it wasn't as brazen as we see this type of sin, homosexuality, uh, then as it was in this day and time. But still, still, I'm thinking this. If you're proclaiming the full counsel of God's word over 78 years, somebody should have touched on it sometime or another. You understand maybe why the Bible says judgment must begin at the house of God? Because somehow some people were just leapfrogging over this topic. For, for this reason, Paul writes... And let me strengthen that a little bit. Paul, who writes this book of Romans that we recognize to be the strongest doctrinal book in all of the Bible and all the New Testament, he writes this. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of the error. It, it, it's clear what he's talking about and what he's saying in the, in the sexual practices that God was judging as we look at that text. Jesus himself the tender lamb of God, the compassionate lamb of God. Look what Jesus says in Luke chapter 17. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the son of man is revealed. So Jesus is using Sodom and Gomorrah, not in a positive light. It's never used in a positive light in the scriptures. He's using Sodom and Gomorrah as an example for the judgment that will come in the future. And even in our own lingo, in our own culture, there are laws on the book still in many places to where the word sodomy or the word sodomize is used. Guess where that word comes from? It goes back to the judgment and the activity and everything that was taking place in Sodom and Gomorrah. So God notices that. God is paying attention to, to the sinful activity of men. And, and we need to, to recognize that. See, the sins of men don't go unseen. That the sins that we commit are not ignored by God. Men try to commit sins and crimes underneath the cover of darkness. But you cannot find a dark enough alley or a dark enough room that God doesn't know and God doesn't see what's taking place. God is noticing these things. And, and he said there's this outcry of their sin that had come before him. So the men turned from there, these angels, and went to Sodom, but Abraham stood there before the Lord. All the time of their set down and having the meal together was over. It was time for these angels to go down and see firsthand what was taking place in Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, 
Someone might think from reading that, that God must not have known everything. God is sending these angels down in Sodom and Gomorrah so he can really understand what's taking place. I think that's a misinterpretation, a misnomer that people have when they read that. God is an all-knowing God and knows everything. Amen? These babies we had up here, the Bible said he had a description of what they would look like written down in his book before they were ever born. So God knows everything. So I don't think him sending the angels in was necessarily for them to go like spies and find out, okay, that's really what's happening. God already knew what was happening. But just maybe God sending them was one last chance that maybe their presence there could affect some type of change or that they would give a wake-up call to Lot to where Lot would suddenly start maybe proclaiming the truth of God's word. It wasn't that God might find out what was taking place. God knew what was taking place. And he sends these angels there to rescue Lot and his family. Some consequences that we've already talked about in in the past about Lot, and some we haven't talked about, were these. Lot thought it was a pretty innocent thing when he put his tent just towards Sodom because he thought, man, that's a nice, well-watered plain. That looks like a good place to raise my livestock. When he made that simple decision, he didn't foresee it taking him to where it took him. You've probably had that happen in your life. I have mine. You make a simple decision upon something that looks attractive and it takes you somewhere you didn't plan on going. And it costs you more than what you thought it would cost you. It costs a lot his testimony. His own son-in-laws wouldn't even believe what he was saying. He lost his influence with them and other people there in the city. He lost his wife because the angels told them, as you get out of the city, don't look back. And yet Lot's wife looked back and guess what happened? She was turned into a pillar of salt. That's what the Bible says. Do you believe that? I do. That's what the Bible says. But a consequence we've not talked about yet on the other side of Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed His two daughters started talking and saying, well, he doesn't have any offspring, anyone to carry on the family name. So they got Lot drunk. He didn't know they were doing this, but they got him drunk. And while he was drunk, on two different occasions, each one of his own daughters had sex with him. We call that incest today. And they conceived children. And from those children, you have the Moabites and the Ammonites. And there's still conflict going on in the Middle East of the world today because there are people who trace their lineage to the Moabites and the Ammonites. And it all started back when Lot just made a decision to pitch his tent towards Sodom. God sees, God knows the sins of men. And that's why our third analogy today is really important. As men, not just the men, ladies, you too, but as men, we need to assume the role of intercessors for our families and for others. Abraham did that. It's like he's an intercessor. He's begging God for the people that are there in in Sodom. He's hoping that there be maybe at least 50 righteous. And if so, God, will you spare the city? And if not, he'll keep coming down. We'll see it in just a moment. He keeps coming down, begging God, hoping God would would spare the city. 
Before we look at those verses, here's a, a quote by Charles Hadley Spurgeon that I found this week that I really love. Charles Spurgeon said this, if they will not hear you speak, they cannot prevent your praying. You have a family member, a loved one, a friend that doesn't want to hear you say anything about, to them about Jesus. You can pray for them. They can't keep you from praying. Do they jest at your exhortations? They cannot disturb you at your prayers. Are they far away so that you cannot reach them? Your prayers can reach them. See, God's not hindered by time and space. Have they declared that they will never listen to you again, nor see your face? Never mind, God has a voice that they must hear. Speak to him, and he will make them feel. Though they now treat you despitefully, rendering evil for your good, follow them with your prayers. And, and please, please get this last statement. Never let them perish for your lack of supplications, for your lack of prayer. No matter who they are, no matter what they've done, we need to pray for them. As we think about assuming the role of an intercessor, there's some things that we can see Abraham do that we need to do. First of all, we need to draw near to God. You're drawing near to God as you come to, to pray and, and beseech God for your family, for your friends, for our world. When the Bible said in verse 23, then Abraham drew near and said, the phrase drew near is a Hebrew word that literally talks about going to court to argue your case. You've been charged with something, so you're going to show up in the courtroom, you're going to try and argue your case. And that gives us a picture of what Abraham is doing. He's coming before God to argue his case, to make a petition. And, and the great thing about drawing near to God is that we actually have this promise in James chapter 4, verse 8, draw near to God, and look what it says. He will draw near to you. Now, now don't minimize that. Don't let that slip away. We're talking about the God that's holy, holy, holy. We're talking about the God that spoke all the universe into existence. And the Bible says as we draw near to him, he draws near to us. You know, why, why do we not draw near to him more often, with greater intensity, with more motivation, when we understand doing so means that, that he's drawing near to us? Also, as we take on the role of intercessors, we need to do this that we find Abraham doing. We, we must trust in the goodness of God. And I think that's really, if you read it in the right way, that's what Abraham is doing when he says this to God. Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And that talks about a judicial verdict, whether it's favorable or unfavorable. And the Lord said, if I find as Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. 
See, I, I don't think Abraham considered, especially as you see in a moment how he continues to approach God. I don't think Abraham was thinking, God, let me tell you something. You're supposed to do what's right, and it wouldn't be right for you to do that. I don't think that's the attitude that Abraham had. I think the, the, the attitude that Abraham is having is this. He, he was trusting that God would do what was right. And that's why he's bringing this before him. And you and I, in our prayer life, as we petition for our children, as we petition for our cities, for our culture, we need to do so with, with, the, with the opinion, with the attitude, with the belief in the goodness of God that he will do what is right. As we approach God as intercessors, we also need to do this. We need to be passionate and persistent in asking God. Look how passionate Abraham seems to be and how persistent he is as he continues beseeching God. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, but who am I but dust and ashes? Now, do you see why I said a moment ago Abraham wasn't taking the attitude that he was instructing God in some way? He said, Who am I to begin to try and talk to you? He, he said, I'm nothing but dust and ashes. But he says, Suppose... Five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And God answered, I will not destroy it if I find 45 people there. Uh, again, Abraham speaks to God. And he said this, suppose 40 are found there. And God answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. So then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And he answered, I will not do it if I find 30. Then he said, behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And God answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, talking about Abraham. Then Abraham said, oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak again, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. And God answered, for the sake of ten, I'll not destroy it. Theologians have different ideas about the size of the family of Lot. Some people view the family of Lot having ten present. If they view him having four daughters instead of two, two already married and two betrothed. So it would be like those son-in-laws that were not fully married yet being betrothed were really part of the family. Some view it as only being eight in his family. But you see, either way, Abraham is exercising faith that surely at least Abraham and his immediate family's right with God. And maybe, maybe Abraham has shared his faith with some others, but he keeps coming down, 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 down to a more narrow number, hoping that, that, that God will say if there's ten there, hoping maybe that Lot had at least all of his family, maybe a couple of neighbors that he had led a relationship with the Lord and saying, God, will you not destroy it if, if there's that many there? But evidently that wasn't the case because God did destroy the city. As I told you earlier, some people wonder, well, was Lot even saved? The Bible tells us that he was righteous in Second Peter. Chapter 2, verse 6 and 9. We've got a picture of this man with great passion coming before God because judgment is about to fall on these two sinful cities, asking God, would you spare him for this many? Would you spare him for that many? 
Some people may ask themselves, why in the world would Abraham pray for such a sinful people, for cities like Sodom and Gomorrah? Why would Abraham pray for them? I think here's the answer. Abraham didn't want to see those people that were about to be destroyed in Sodom and Gomorrah lost for all eternity. He didn't want to see them die right then and be judged because of their sin. You see, we need to assume the same role. That's why we need to be intercessors, yes, for our family, but for our culture. When what happened so tragically took place in Orlando, this past week, there have been a lot of attitudes that have been thrown out there. That's why I qualified the verse that I read a moment ago. Some people are saying, well, they deserved what they got. And I understand how someone can have that attitude. It, it, it seems like it's becoming worse in our culture because some people are really rebelling because they feel like that type of culture is being crammed down their throat and they're retaliating. I, I understand how all that happens. But still, every one of those people that were killed in Orlando, they had an eternal soul that went somewhere. And the only two possibilities is eternity with God or eternity in hell, separated from Him forever. And that's why even though we may disagree with the lifestyles and the activities of people, that doesn't mean that we write them off and we fail to pray for them. And we try and lead them to Christ and try and and convert them. Because you see, the only other option is they die lost forever. To give you a sense of why Abraham was praying and why we should pray for people, let's look at what God's will is concerning people. 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's God's will. That's His purpose. Let's keep reading. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul says, first of all, then I urge the supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceable life. Even Christians today, many times we will wind up taking that attitude because we get frustrated with our government and political parties and things, and we'll think, well, I'll only pray for political leaders that agree with me. Well, when Paul wrote this, guess who was the political leader of that day? It was Nero. And I would suggest if Paul could tell the people in that day to pray for Nero, we can find it in our hearts to pray for any political leader and any political party that exists. That that God would deal with their hearts and call them to himself that we might have the culture that we ought to have. He said, this is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth for there is one God and there's one mediator between God and man, or men, the man Jesus Christ who gave himself as a ransom for all which is the testimony given at the proper time. Jesus is the only hope for anyone. He's the only mediator between God and man. He's the only way people receive forgiveness. He's the only way you can go to heaven. He's the only way you can be birthed into the family of God. Because he's the mediator between God and man. And that's why we need to pray for people. Ezekiel 33, God says this, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, 
God's not happy when things happen like they did in Sodom and Gomorrah or like they happened in Orlando or other tragedies or other things that we might think, well, that's God judging someone. God's not happy with the death of the wicked, he says, but he said his desire is this, that the wicked will turn from his way and live. That's why on this Father's Day, I'm challenging us that we need to take on the role of Abraham, that we need to be intercessors. And in doing so, we need to recognize this. One last thing, and then we're going to move to a prayer time in just a moment. We need to recognize that God always does what is right. You may not like it sometimes. I may not like it sometimes. But God always does what's right. Verse 33 says, And the Lord went his way. After Abraham had kept praying all the way down to ten people, the Lord went his way. And when he had finished speaking to Abraham, Abraham returned to his place. See, the reason I, I say that God always does what is right, we need to trust in that. Abraham had done all he could do. He had sought the Lord and he had prayed and prayed and brought the number all the way down to ten people. He had done all that he could do. And now he just has to walk away and trust that God would do what's right. But, but, but God killed all those people in Sodom and Gomorrah. God's a holy God. He knows everything. He knew the chance of repentance they'd had. You and I don't know that. God always does what's right. And we need to pray from that standpoint, believing that God will do what's right. Whether we like it, whether we can understand it, whether we can see our way through it or not, we need to believe that God always does what is right. God sent two angels into the city and they rescued Lot and the family that would go with him. That's how compassionate God was. Judgment was about to fall and he sent those two angels to get Lot out. You know what he did for us? He didn't send two angels. He sent his only begotten son to die on the cross that you and I could be rescued from our sin. That's what he did for us. God always does what's right. God has made a way of repentance, an opportunity for anyone who will believe in Jesus to be forgiven and escape the judgment. People have to make their choice as to whether or not they're going to believe or they're going to turn their back and walk away from God. God always does what is right. God is a loving God, a gracious God. But sometimes people won't listen and sometimes people won't hear. And Sodom and Gomorrah winds up being judged for that very reason because of their failure to repent of their sin. The Bible tells us this in Romans chapter 6. The wages of sin is death. Now, on the other side of that, the Bible also lets us know this. On the other side of death is a place called eternal hell. On the other side of death. And that's where people go without Jesus. That's why Abraham, I think, was so passionate. And he kept praying and bringing the number down. Hoping that somehow those people could be spared and be given another chance. The wages of sin is death. 
I'm glad the verse keeps going, don't you? But the free gift of God, not something you earn, not something you can deserve, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God loves you so much that he'll give you the free gift of eternal life if you'll trust in Jesus. But there are multitudes of people in our families and in our communities and in our cities and the places we work, the acquaintances we have that don't know Jesus. That's why we need to be like Abraham and be an intercessor in the culture that we live in. The band's going to come up and they're going to kind of do the first part of the invitation softly. I asked, I asked Lynn Crump last week if he would lead us in a prayer time during the invitation. So what I want to do is challenge all of the men here to a time of prayer. Challenge you to come up and pray and seek God's face for your family. And beg God for your family. Especially if you have lost loved ones, come up and pray and beg God for your family. Or pray God's blessings over your family if they are Christian, whatever your burden is for your family. But we also need to pray for our culture. I I don't think I'm off by saying this. Our modern day culture is bound to be worse than Sodom and Gomorrah was in the world that we live in. That ought to burden us. We need to pray for our country and the world that we live in. I'm going to challenge you men to come up and kneel and pray. And Lynn's going to lead us in a prayer. And then I'm going to challenge you to do this. After we lead through that part of the prayer, if you have family here, a wife here, if you have family here, your kids here, I want you to get up from where you are. I want you to go back and get your family. I want you to bring your family up here and pray with your family. And Lynn will also lead us in another prayer. Father, use this time right now for your glory and for your honor. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, will you come and pray? Take on the role of an intercessor that we saw Abraham do in this story. God, we just come to you as men, God, just recognizing, God, that we do live in a time of Sodom and Gomorrah. God, just recognizing the fact that the temptations around us are enormous. God, we also come to you just recognizing the fact that, God, you've given us a will and you've given us a choice to choose. And God, I just pray for us as men would always do what is right what is just that God we would always look at others through your eyes God that we would 
always, always honor you with your grace, the mercy and the grace that you've given us. God, I just pray that we would always be the leaders of our families that you've called us to be. God, that we would take the responsibility and that we would follow your example of the the Heavenly Father. God, that we would not condemn. God, that we would just look at our family and be the leaders that you've called us to. God, I do pray for our country. I pray again, God, that we would step up as men and be the leaders in our family and our communities everywhere we go, God. For those of us who have experienced the greatness of having an awesome dad, And for those folks, God, who haven't, again, we just go to you. Thanking you for your, for, 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 for you being the fatherly example. And then we'd never forsake you. In Jesus' name. Me and all, all of you have family here with you. If, if you're willing to do this, would you slip back quickly and take your your wife or your family by the hand would you come back this way and uh lynn's gonna lead us in a in another prayer as I look around and I see the families, God, that you've constructed, that you've put together. God, I'm convinced that you've put each and every family members together here today, that you put them together for a purpose. That you brought us into this world, God, to reach others, to go to others, to go out into the world, go out into the community, God. And I just pray for each and every family member that's here, God, that we again would see others, would see everyone through your eyes. God, as we go out in the world and, and as we as men lead our families, God, again, I just come to you recognizing the fact that, that we live in a time that it's not the popular thing to do, to lead your family in the Christian way. But God, we come to you just recognizing that what you do is right and the ways of your way, the ways that you've constructed us to be are the right ways and that you love us unconditionally. And God, I just pray for every single family here. I pray for every dad that's here. I pray for every person here, every man here, God, who's going to become a dad, that we would begin today, that we would begin now to be the father that you've commanded us to be, to be the dad that you've commanded us to be through your scripture. And Father God, we give you the credit for what we have. Live in a country like we do. God, we're blessed beyond measure. You come to be able to freely worship, to be able to freely come down for your presence and to lead and to talk and to do anything, God, that you've commanded us to be without conflict. 
And God, we just come to you now just recognize the responsibility that you've given us as families, that we would move forward, that we would leave this place united as a family and being led by the man of the house. God, that, that we would do what you've commanded us to be and we would do it with strength and honor, knowing that, God, that you're right there with us. We glorify you because we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would make it back to your seats just for a second, remain standing. Uh, John's going to come back, and they're going to do one stanza of the invitational song. And I really felt compelled to do this in the last service, because if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, not just the message, but maybe even seeing people pray together, God could have spoken to your heart. So as they do one stanza of the invitation, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you feel God calling you uh, to trust in Jesus. We invite you to do that today. to someone about what it means to trust in Christ and you didn't really feel like you could step forward for some reason, I'm going to ask our ushers if they would come. And uh, as they're coming, I want to challenge you as you go from this place today, don't let this prayer time be something that was strange uh, or just a special event for you. We need to be intercessors for our families. We need to be intercessors for our culture that we live in. And we need to guard against the attitude of, of, of thinking, well, you know, those people deserve to die and go to hell. They deserve that because of what uh, they're doing, the way they're living their life. Hey, here's the truth of the Bible. We all deserve to go to hell. All of us are sinners. Paul said he was the chief among sinners. That's why we need to have a burden and pray for those that don't know him. Their sin might be different than ours. But we're still all lost without hope, without Jesus. Amen? Father, take what we give right now. Use it to make yourself famous. Use it to reach people that don't know you. Father, once again, I pray for fathers that I know are struggling today because of uh, anniversary dates of the loss of children. Or father, children that are struggling because of the absence of fathers. But Father, we thank you that through faith in Christ, you're our Father. Help us to follow you. Help us to look like your family. 
Help us to resemble you in the world that we live in. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.